Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, It's such a privilege for me to be here because your former pastor and I have been great friends for the last 25 years. We have done a lot of things together, gone on trips together, eaten meals together, a lot of eating meals uh, together. And uh, I love Ed and Cindy. They're great folks, and I know you're blessed. But I want to tell you something. God has great things in store for you because this church seeks God's heart. You have a reputation. I was talking to a lady uh, right before the service, and I said, this church has a reputation that far exceeds the city limits of Magnolia. And uh, it's a reputation of good, of participating in the gospel. And, and I know God, just as I know for West Conroe, God has someone. He's already, he's already got that guy. And I, I, like I told my church, I said, you know, there's a pastor somewhere that's starting to get a holy uneasiness about him, and he doesn't understand why. But God's getting him ready, and God's getting ready someone to bring here with you. Well, Dr. Roger told me that uh, he had started this series, Tell Me the Story, and uh, I think, I guess maybe he gave the assignment to the, to the kids to draw a picture uh, for each one of the stories that are gonna be in this series. And uh, this morning... Little eight-year-old Eliana Files, uh, daughter of Audrey and Jeremy Files, drew the picture uh, for this message. I don't know if it's up. Yeah, there it is right there. Uh, David and Goliath, you saw the Files family right before that. And uh, yeah, you can pick out, you can tell who's David and who's Goliath, can't you? <laughs> well, that's great. I'm glad the kids are, and there's the Files family and uh, uh Adriana is, uh, or Eliana, I'm sorry, is uh, a little one there. So this morning, I want to talk to you about faith for killing giants. And I want to read part of the most famous story probably in all the Bible. If you will, take your Bibles and look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read part of the story of David and Goliath. I don't know if you do this here. We did it at West Conroe. I've done it every church that I pastored. But I just want to honor God's word by asking you to stand as we read the text together. We're going to begin in verse 1, chapter 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. And they camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesh Damim. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a giant came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits. A cubit is a foot and a half, nine feet tall. He's a real giant. Six cubits and a span. Span is the distance between your little finger and your thumb, about another six inches. So it's roughly nine and a half feet 
tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. That was a lie. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, sometimes in life we face circumstances that can seem like insurmountable problems, like, like overwhelming giants. If you, if you think back, most of you are, are like me. You've got to dig way deep in your memory. You think back in your childhood. Think about from the child's perspective. You're always dealing with adults that are twice your height or more. They're four times your weight, And they think they know a thousand times more than you know. And they're always telling you what to do. Life can seem full of giants, especially when we're small. But there's giants in all of our lives. And I don't know you. I've met some of you before the service. But I think I'm probably going to hit the target today when I say many of you, some of you, are dealing with giants in your life. We all have them from time to time. They come in all shapes and sizes and varieties of types. There's giants from within. There's giants from without. There's physical giants like disease or physical abuse or addictions. There are psychological giants like depression and anxiety and fear. There are also spiritual giants like that all-consuming temptation that seems like whenever it comes in your path, it always trips you up. Or maybe a lukewarm heart. Or maybe there's idols that control some part of your life. They are giants that seem to attack us. They come at us full force. How do we have faith to fight and kill those kind of giants? Well, young David learned this At a very early age, even before he met Goliath, we'll find out. David learned that giants will come into your life, and if you want to defeat them, you got to know how to destroy them. And we find some some beautiful lessons in this story. One of the things, though, I wanted to say to you, I don't know if we have that picture of the Valley of Elah. Uh, We read that's where it took place. There's the Valley of Elah. And no, those aren't Philistines, they're Texans. But um, I wanted you to get just a little mental picture of where this took place. This is the Valley of Elah. And you see the slope 
that starts up on the left, um, the Valley of Elah is located about 14, 15 miles southwest of Jerusalem. And uh, the Philistines would have been located up on that hill. It keeps on going up, but I couldn't get it all in the picture. The Israelites would have been on the right side of the picture. Yeah, on the right side of the picture. And um, behind them was a straight path to Jerusalem. The Philistines had been the nemesis of the Israelites ever since they crossed the Jordan. The Philistines dwell mainly by the sea in uh, Ashdod and Ascalon and Gath, Lachish, in those cities. But they hated the Israelites. They didn't want the Israelites there. And so they were constantly attacking them and marauding. And, and so they met up here at the Valley of Elah. The Israelites on the north side, Philistines on the south side, and they were ready to wage battle. I heard Milt say something about uh, a trip to the Holy Land in October. If you have any possibility of going, let me encourage you to go. It will change your life. You'll read the Bible in Technicolor when you come back because you'll say, oh, I saw that place. I saw that site. So uh, it would be well worth your while. But how do we, how do we develop that faith that can kill those giants that come in our life. Number one, we learn from David that before you start taking on giants, you gotta deal with the gecko. You know what a gecko is, don't you? Now, I'm not talking about that cute little gecko gecko. I'm talking about those ugly, ghoulish-looking little lizards that, I mean, you can sort of kind of see through them. It's terrible. Hate those things. When I was in my first pastorate in Warren, Texas, uh, my wife and I were, we were young. I was 27, six years old when I went there, and, and uh, this happened shortly after we got there. Uh, we were expecting our first child, and uh, we had had a sofa in our house that belonged to my aunt for I don't know how many years. It was, it was naugahyde. Remember Naugahyde? That means glorified plastic. That, that was the upholstery. And um, with the baby coming, I told Diana one day, I said, you know, we, we, need to, we need to get some other living room furniture. Plus, we have nowhere to sit. When anybody comes, we had to drag out the chairs from uh, the dining table. We were poor. We were poor. And uh, so, anyway, we shopped around. We found a great deal on a sectional sofa. Big old thing. And uh, it, it had genuine woven fabric on there. It looked nice. We got it in there. We were so proud of that furniture. One night we were sitting there and uh, watching TV, I think, or something. And all of a sudden, something shot across the living room floor. Now, my wife does not deal with bugs and lizards very well. And she jumped up on top of that sectional and said, what is that? I said, I don't know. I've never seen anything move like that. And she said, before I go to bed, you're going to get this thing out of here. Well, I got down on the floor. I mean, it, you know, it looked only about that long. I was a 27-year-old young man. I figured I could probably handle him. And I looked under the couch, I looked under the chairs, I looked behind the TV, and guess what? No gecko. 
That bode well uh, bad for me because she said, I'm not staying in this house with that thing, whatever it is, in here. And so I proceeded to haul that sectional out of the living room to try to inspect it to find a Geico. Never found the Geico. But I did learn a lesson that you got to deal with geckos. Now, when we look in our text, just a little past the text in verse 14, we didn't read this. I'm going to reference other passages in chapter 17. We read in, 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 chat, in verses 13 and 14 that David had three other brothers. The oldest one was Eliab. The, the middle one was Abinadab. And the one just above David was Shammah. And in verse 14, it said that his three brothers went off to war, but David was the youngest. David was the youngest. He was the smallest. He was the youngest. He wasn't able to go to war. He wasn't of fighting age yet. So probably around 14, 15 years old. And David had to stay behind. The only army he could muster was a herd of sheep. And he was left behind to, to take care of his father's sheep. That was his assignment. Not in the battlefield, but in the sheep field. Now, listen to this. Here's what I mean by geckos. If you are going to serve God, if you're going to try to walk with Christ against things that are going to attack you, you have to be faithful in the little things first. David had to be faithful as a shepherd. I, I can just, I can see him. I mean, he's just cringing. He's wanting to go with his brothers to war. He's wanting to see this fantastic war. He would have done anything. He would have cleaned tents. He would have, he would have sharpened spears. He would have done anything, but he was too little. Now, here's how this applies to us today. In fact, Jesus says it best in Luke chapter 16, or Luke chapter 10, verse 16, he says this. If you are unfaithful or you're faithful in very little things, you will be faithful in great things. But if you are unfaithful in very little things, you will be unfaithful in great things. I don't know about you, but I've been in this place before. I've had to deal with this giant in my own life. And, and, and thoughts come into my mind, you know, like, man, I, I'm going to, I'm going to serve God just as soon as I get my, my, my talents sharpened up a little bit. I'm going, to, I'm going to witness. I'm going to tell people about Jesus just as soon as I learn a little bit more Bible. I'm going to, I'm going to give to God just as soon as I earn a little bit more money, make a little more money. I just don't make enough. You know, it's, it's the beauty of God. It's the wisdom of God that God always used the smallest the least significant, the most unexpected instrument to accomplish his will. He took a tongue-tied shepherd on the back of, uh, of the Midian Desert to lead his people out of Egypt. He used a boy and a slingshot and a stone to deliver his people from the Philistines. He used a common Galilean fisher folk as his closest disciples around him during his ministry here on earth. God always uses those who think, I can't do that. I'm too little. I don't have enough. I always told our church a number of times, you may be 
too big for God to use, but you're never too little. You're never too little. So we have to deal with those geckos, and, and, and we just have to admit, yes, I, I'm not able. I'm not the greatest. I'm, I'm not the richest, but with what I have, I'm going to be faithful. When you slay that gecko, you're ready to start facing the giants. Another thing David teaches us in this story is don't be discouraged by the critics, by the discouragers. There's always going to be discouragers around, always going to be critics around that are going to criticize you. The only people that don't get criticized are in the graveyard. Nobody bothers them too much, I don't think. But I, I don't know. I mean, some people, I think it's their spiritual gift to criticize, you know. Just going to make sure I set you straight and put you in your place. When I started, I, I was in ministry even before I was a pastor. Back as a teenager, I was a youth evangelist back in those days. And I went all over the place preaching revivals and, and, and traveling around. And it was great. I mean, people loved me. I mean, I only came in and stayed two or three or seven days at the most. So they didn't have time to really get to dislike me a whole lot. And so they, they were all great. I thought this ministry thing is going to be wonderful. Everybody's so nice. Everybody's so kind. Nobody criticizes you. And then I came to reality when I started working in local churches. And I realized I'm going to catch criticism. You're going to be criticized. If you, I promise you, if you stand for the Lord in your life, if you let your witness be known that you are a Christ follower, you're going to meet up with critics. They're going to try to discourage you. And we see this happen in David's life repeatedly here in this story. The first one came from fear. David went up, he, he was taking uh, supplies for his brothers every day, you know, food and all those kind of things. And he went up one day and, and David's looking around, he says, where's the battle? And in verse 25 of this chapter, the, some of the soldiers said, oh, kid, he said, these these Philistines, they got, a, they got a ringer. They got a nine and a half foot giant out there. And he comes out and taunts us every day. And, and nobody's, nobody's able to go up against him. It's sure death. It'd be a suicide mission. Stay clear of that valley below. Another discourager that came to David was ridicule. And it came by his own flesh and blood. His own brother, Eliab. When David caught up with his brother, his brother had heard what was going on in the camp, that these soldiers were talking to this young boy, and uh, he was saying, I'm, I'm going to fight that giant. I'm, I'm going out there. And, it, and you read, it's a typical brother exchange. Older brother, eldest brother Eliab comes, and he says, what are you doing here? David said, nothing. I brought some cheese and bread. I brought you some food and, and, and a change of clothes. And that's all I'm doing here. And then Eliab didn't stop. He said, I know you. I know you. You're up to no good. You probably left my father's sheep out there by themselves, and you're not worried about them. I know you. There will be discouragers that will ridicule you. They will put you down. There are discouragers that will intimidate you. We know in the story as it progresses, 
David does convince Saul to let him go out to fight Goliath, and he goes out and fights Goliath. So I want you to imagine, imagine yourself nine and a half feet tall. I can't stretch that far, but I'm nine and a half feet tall. And here you come, and you're five two. That's how tall my wife is, five two. And you're gonna fight me. And especially, let's just say it's one of you ladies. Yeah, I'm probably going to say, ma'am, I'm not fighting you. I'm not going to fight a lady. I'm not going to fight somebody that's half my height. And we would have thought that maybe Goliath would have done that to David. What, Son, I admire your, your courage. I admire your tenacity. But I'm not going to fight you. This wouldn't be a fair fight. No, that's not what he did. Goliath said, what do you think I am? Some kind of dog you send a kid out here to me? And he looks at David and said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut your head off, and I'm going to feed it to the birds. Wow. <laughs> this guy's serious. He really doesn't like me. There will be people in your life that will try to intimidate you into not following the Lord, not being obedient in your life. And then there's just outright hostility. Goliath did that when he faced David. And he didn't stop there. He came at David, and he was ready to do business with David. There are going to be people that are going to treat you hostily in, in your life. Don't be defeated. Recognize now. There's going to be discouragers. Don't be defeated by those discouragers. Third lesson we learn is, is this, and this is so critically important. Remember past victories for present strength. You know what God has done in the past? Catalog that. Don't forget that. There's an old hymn. Dawson says, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Things that God has already blessed you with. That will be strength to you today when you're facing a giant, whatever it is. To remember God was faithful in the past. God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God will do it again in my life. I can trust him. I remember when God moved in my life. I remember when God saved my family from financial collapse. I remember when God healed my body, when doctors said there was no hope. God did it before. God can do it Again, David tells Saul, when Saul said, you can't go out there and fight that giant, immediately David said, you know what? He said, there was a lion and a bear that came into the camp. And he said, they grabbed a sheep, and he said, I went after each one of them, and I grabbed them by the mane, and I slew them, and I took the lamb out of their mouth. And David said, that big galoof out there will be just like another bear, just like another lion. God's going to take care of him. Remember, the battle is not yours. And the battle is not your enemies. The battle is the Lord's. And when David came, he didn't say, man, I'm the best slingshot slinger in the whole world. You're in trouble. No. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, whom you have defied. So, when the giants come, when you're facing a giant, Maybe you're facing one right now. Remember past victories that God has worked in your life 
and trust him. It'll give you strength today. Fourth thing is use what you've got to fight the giant. Don't try to be somebody else. Don't try to imitate what somebody else did. Just be yourself. David gets in a tent with Saul, and he convinces Saul. He said, I killed the lion, killed the bear, I'll kill this giant. Saul said, well, if you're just determined to do that, let me at least equip you. And Saul put his helmet on David's head. He put his shield on David. He gave him his sword and his spear. And the Bible says he couldn't even hold the sword up. He, barely, he couldn't even walk. And I just, you know, you get the picture of David paralyzed, trying to hold all his gear, and it's too heavy for him. And David takes them off. He drops the sword and the spear, and he says, I can't use these. These aren't the weapons I use. And he said, but I got a slingshot. I think a little boy, when Jesus was preaching there by the Sea of Galilee, thousands of people around, and, and the disciples said, Lord, we got to let them go. It's getting late. They, they need to go eat. And, you know, McDonald's is going to close pretty soon. And Jesus said, what do you got? You go feed them. And they said, well, what are we going to do? He said, what do you have? They said, well, here's a little boy that's got a lunch. But what is that among so many? Jesus said, bring them here. And the little boy said, I have a hunch. He wants my lunch. And he gave Jesus what he had. Five rolls or pieces of bread and two small fish. You know the rest of the story. It's not how much you have. It's your willingness to let God use what's in you. You've got, use what you got. Use your own spiritual gifts. Use your own abilities to God's glory. Don't rely on your resources, but recognize God will use what you have. Remember, the last lesson is this. Remember, little is much when God is in it. We, we look and we read about a battle here with sticks and stones versus a sword and a shield. David walking out there with that slingshot and picking up some stones. Now, you saw that valley, picture that valley a while ago. It's, it's called a wadi. And a wadi means a dry riverbed that's dry most of the years. But in the wintertime, in the rainy season, it becomes a rushing torrent. And the bottom of that valley is covered with stones. I always wondered when I was a kid, because we played with slingshots. They didn't look like David's, but, you know, made a little Y thing and put some inner tube straps on it, a little leather thing, and it was great for shooting china berry balls. But I thought, how could David take a little rock the size of a china berry ball and kill a giant? Well, on my first trip to Israel, we went to the Valley of Eli, and we were walking around, and uh, I began to see I, I, was, I had misunderstood. So they told us, hey, feel free to take a rock home if you want to. And I thought, one, shoot, David picked up five. And so I picked up five stones from the Valley of Elah. And my favorite two are these two right here. I saw on another trip our guide that was very accomplished with a sling take one stone about that size and spun it over his head and let it go, and in a half a second, it was out of sight. Did a little research on this. A stone this size, done with a slingshot, 
within the first 60 feet will hit a target with the impact of a 45 caliber slug. That'll put your lights out. And so David had these stones. He had his slingshot. Looked like he was outmatched. Shepherd's son versus a seasoned soldier. There's no way he can win. It's no match. That's what David thought. He said, that's a big target. I can't miss. Goliath doesn't have a chance. When you face giants... And you may feel impotent. You may feel incapable. But remember, little is much when God is in it. Wilma was born prematurely on June 23rd, 1940. Unfortunately, she died at a relatively young age in 1994. She was... Born in St. Bethlehem, Tennessee. She was riddled with disease all of her life. She had double pneumonia twice, had scarlet fever, and polio had weakened her left leg and twisted her left foot. Metal braces, stares, and jeering from other kids in the school Bus rides to Nashville for physical treatment. They all could have defeated her. But Wilma had a desire. She had a passion. A dream to walk and maybe even run without any braces on. Well, the encouraging faith of her mother caused Wilma to force herself to learn to walk. She had an older sister uh, by the name of, uh, uh, well, I can't remember her name now, and I can't see it here, but uh, her older sister w- went out, tried out for the basketball team in their hometown, St. Bethlehem, and she got picked, but Wilma didn't. And her dad told her older sister, you can play basketball if they will take Wilma on as the mascot. Otherwise, you can't play. She went and conveyed that message to her coach, and the coach wanted her to play. And so he said, fine, she'll be the school mascot. And Wilma worked hard at being that mascot. One day she went to the coach, and she said, if you will give me just 10 minutes each day of your life, I will make you the greatest athlete you've ever seen. And the coach agreed. Well, Wilma didn't take up basketball. She decided to take up track. And she began to run. And she could run. And in the first race at her school, she beat all the other girls in her school. Within one year, she had beaten every girl, every high school girl in the state of Tennessee. At the age of 16, she went to the tried out for the U.S. Olympics, made the team, and she won a bronze medal for running the race in track uh, there in Melbourne, Australia. Four years later, she was back at the Olympics again. This time it was in Rome. And before 80,000 people, all of them chanting together, Wilma, 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 
Wilma won a gold medal in the 200-meter dash, in the 100-meter dash, and in the 1,000-meter relay. All, th all three of her victories were gold medals. They were all world records. This crippled little girl from New Bethlehem, Tennessee, that were made fun of by all the kids in school, had to wear braces, couldn't walk or run. She could let all those giants discourage her and defeat her. There's been a lot of great Olympians that have won fantastic accomplishments and medals, but I don't know that there's any of them that could slay giants in their life like Wilma could. You can do it as well. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you so much for the truth and the encouragement of your word that, Lord, even though we face giants in our life, that you're able to overcome them and you're able to work through us. You, you desire to work through us because, God, then you're glorified. And I pray today for that man or that woman, that youth that's here that they're facing giants. I don't know what they are, but they're overwhelming kinds of problems, issues, maybe physically, emotionally, spiritually, I don't know. But God, I pray today that you would take your word. Holy Spirit, pierce our hearts here with that truth. That God, we serve the same God that David served. And he is just as powerful today. His arm has not been shortened. And you're able to accomplish all that you desire in our lives. I pray today God would be a turnaround day for some people. A turnaround day to put to, put to death some giants that are keeping us from being what you want us to be. Maybe, Lord, there's someone here that's facing a spiritual giant. They're, they're not really sure if they know Christ as Savior and Lord in their life. I know that feeling. I know that fear. I know that doubt. But I know you removed it all when I trusted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. God, I pray for that person here today that you would give them the strength and the faith to respond to your word and to say, I want to know Christ. I'm tired of this doubt. I'm, I'm tired of this fear. I want to know what my eternity is ahead of me. So God, I pray you would use your word today to begin to kill giants that are attacking our lives. I pray, God, you'd help us to be responsive and obedient to your word. And we ask all this in Jesus' name.